sorry, I forgot it. Jehovah God, thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things. I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, grace. Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fear, allure me into thy presence, help me to bewail and confess my sins. When I review my past guilt and am conscious of my present unworthiness, I tremble to come to thee, I whose foundation is, the, is in the dust. I who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthy of eternal death. But my recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. I can destroy, but I cannot save myself. Yet thou hast laid help on one that is mighty, for there is mercy with thee, and exceeding riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world, bear up heart and mind in loss of comforts, enliven me in the valley of death, work in me the image of the heavenly, and give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality, such as angels and departed saints know. So some themes from that uh, prayer, kept by God. Um, God's purity was in the first part uh, his righteousness love that is more than parental affection uh, submitting to God's control and then um, toward the end uh, the author has this kind of turning point where recognizing God's goodness uh, taking taking joy in the exceeding riches uh, and then uh, petitioning to keep me from lusting after the world. Uh, so those, those ideas are important to our study of the seventh commandment. Uh, but before we uh, go into our lesson, I'd like to sing a song together. And, uh, hold on a second. I left the music in the other room. So this song came up uh, the other day kind of as a sort of a joking reference, but uh, I've actually selected it. It's called, uh, it's called Heart of Worship, and it was really popular just a few years ago. It wasn't that long. Um, and the, re the reason I liked it is because it talks about... Uh, going back to find God as who he is, not who we think he is, and not making it just about music or about the next hit, 
or um, some latest trend in worship, um, but really focusing, realizing that the song we bring to God is about Him and not about us. Um, I don't play this song very often, but uh, I thought it would be uh, fitting for this lesson. And uh, I think the same attitude is what we have to approach God's law with. It's easy to refashion God's law in our own our own uh, idea, but instead we should approach God's law for the, the truth and beauty that it is and, and trust him. Uh, so if we'll stand and sing together the song. Please stop playing it. Uh, there was a time when I could not hear it once more. Uh, I'm glad that time is gone. Yeah, I know. Um, so, in that song, um, apologizing to God for having made it about ourselves, I think we see the same theme uh, when we approach God's law, that time and time again, um, God's law is manipulated, altered, misunderstood in order to make it about us and not about him. Um, and we'll see that uh, we'll see that in Matthew chapter 5 when, uh, when Jesus tells us about his understanding of the law, which I find to be a reliable one, so uh, we'll make sure we focus on that. Um, so here we are with the seventh commandment, and if you have your Bible, you can go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. <clears throat> so, uh, pretty short commandment, simple enough. You shall not commit adultery. Um, my main theme for this lesson is right there above where, in the outline above where it says Exodus 20.14. Observance of the seventh commandment demonstrates God's covenant faithfulness to the church, his bride. So, any opening thoughts on that, um, or on the commandment itself? I think I would give everybody the uh, the same caution as the other uh, commandments, especially the second half of the Ten Commandments. It seems simpler than it is. Um, I think the last few commandments that we've studied, uh, honor your father and mother, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. I think for people who are in the church, and, and maybe for um, maybe for the people who originally heard these commandments read, it's easy to kind of believe that we're keeping those commandments. Um, and I caution you against that. Um, once we get into the Westminster portion, um, you'll see that uh, the West the Westminster. Writers must have truly believed in grace uh, because they were not shy about sin, especially their own sin. Um, but the, these are the commandments where you read it and you can kind of pat yourself on the back. Um, or, or maybe most of us can. 
you know, think about stealing or something. Oh, I haven't stolen anything. Um, so don't fall into that trap of uh, believing that it's your righteousness, and Jesus has a lot to say in Matthew chapter 5 about that. So a quick quote from the ESV Study Bible, talking about the 6th through the 8th commandments. Um, these are general prohibitions that set minimum standards for Israel to be a just society, and they indicate the context in which the people will be called further to be holy and to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and might. So there's a connection between living the right way and loving God with all your heart, soul, and might. Um, and part of that connection is expressed in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. If you would like to read, you can, but I'm nearly there, so don't be shy. I'll get it. Oh, there we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Yeah. Um, so this, is, this follows the trend we've seen in the last uh, couple of lessons where the commandment is given in Exodus, but then as God's people encounter new situations, they receive more revelation to help them understand how to apply the commandments. So this expands a lot on, uh, on what, it, what it really means to love God. Uh, once again, you might say, oh yeah, you know, I love God. I, I did these three things that demonstrate my love for God. Or, or you might see it as a floor. I don't hate God, so you know, I, love, I love him enough. Uh, and that's not to guilt trip you about loving God, but Israel went through the same thing where their initial understanding of the commandments was a little bit uh, simplistic and they needed more and we need more. Um, so we'll continue on. So that was about loving God, but also called to further be holy uh, and to love their neighbors with goodwill and generosity. And that's in Leviticus 19.18. So now we're kind of getting into the second half of what all the commandments are about, which is how we interact with others, right? Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hmm. Um, so even though when Jesus in the New Testament, talked about making the Ten Commandments into two, he was digging way back. Uh, he indeed is the living word, um, and he can do that uh, miraculously and, and perfectly. Uh, so the commandments aren't just about kind of the bare minimum. Uh, I've, done, I've done the bare minimum. Uh, the commandments are more about... Um, 
pushing on toward holiness and love. Um, so while the prohibition against stealing, uh, even though we haven't covered that one yet, uh, at least I don't think, nope. Uh, this is just an example that the ESV authors use. The prohibition against stealing is a basic principle of justice in Israel's national life. The people are called to do more than simply refrain from taking someone else's possessions. They are to embody the Lord's love for them by loving the stranger and the sojourner as themselves. When Jesus refers to the law in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said. That's Matthew chapter 5. He is correcting not the intended purpose of the law, but the mistaken presumption that these laws or their interpretation were meant to be exhaustive of what it meant to live as a child of the kingdom of heaven. Um, a lot of the lessons in the Ten Commandments make me think, think about my experience as a parent and how many times, you know, especially a younger child, you know, you give them a task and they kind of, they kind of barely do it. And they're like, look, I, I did it. You say clean your room and everything's like just smooshed into a corner. <laughs> I cleaned it. You said I needed to be able to see the floor. Uh, so, as Jesus made clear, this draws a little bit on last week's, uh, the last two weeks' lessons with this example. Simply refraining from murder does not fulfill the law when a person disdains his brother as a fool. Or simply refraining from adultery does not fulfill the law when a man lusts after a woman. So we'll uh, explore this a little bit more in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to start turning over there. So if we start in uh, Matthew 5, 27, we'll read, we'll read until verse 30. You have heard that it was said, so keep in mind, he's, he's talking about the law in multiple, multiple kind of paragraphs. He starts off earlier at the, by saying, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to, I'm not going to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And then topically talks about problems that these people were had been deceived on and lust was one of those problems that uh, Jesus listeners have been deceived with um, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So he probably had people in his audience that were, you know, telling themselves. Sorry, did you have a... No, I'm sorry. I'm oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Um, when... He probably had people in his audience, like we probably have in the church today, that are telling themselves, oh, I've, I've done, they see it as a black and white, I haven't, I haven't committed adultery or I haven't stolen. 
Uh, but he doesn't want it to be that simple. And I do think it's important that he's saying, you've heard that it was said through Scripture. But then he echoes that with, but I say to you, because he also is living Scripture. Um, whether they knew that at the time or not, we know that today. So we should pay attention to that, uh, that kind of uh, call, call and response feeling in the way he speaks. But um, quick note on Matthew 5.27, adultery, this is from the ESV study Bible, adultery was considered an extremely serious offense, referring back to the commandment we just read. Because in addition to violating another person, it broke the marriage covenant. That was a reflection of the relationship between God and his people. So if we just go back to Malachi, just one book, just one book back. Um, So they should have known this one. Malachi 2.14, that says, But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And then going on in verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So there is this... uh, recurring trend um, of covenantal union, covenant faithfulness. Um, And then further to expound on Matthew 5.28. Verse 28 talks more about the lustful intent or or for the the purpose of lusting. I I don't speak any of the biblical languages, so I'm trusting the analysis of the authors in the, in the text that I used. Lust begins in the heart, which is the center of a person's identity and will. So it's not enough to maintain physical purity alone. One must also guard against engaging mentally in an act of unfaithfulness. Jesus is not adding to the Old Testament law, but correctly interpreting it. For even in the Ten Commandments, God had required purity of heart. I'd like to explore that. We already saw wait, Exodus 2017. Let's just back over to Exodus real quick. Does anyone already have that chapter pulled up? Exodus 20. You do? Can you read verse 17? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, not to take away from future lessons, but the way this commandment is explained, it's explained in a much less simplistic way, and um, it makes it more difficult to have a workaround. And uh, unfortunately, the culture culture of Israel at the time that Jesus ministered in person to them... um, there were so many workarounds. Um, in fact, in uh, I forgot one reference. I think we're going back to Matthew chapter five here. Let's see. 
Yeah, he, uh, back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So sticking with the idea of not just a surface level obedience, but uh, God requiring purity of heart. Um, that is what Jesus is talking about here. Is he, he was ministering to a group of people who had kind of created uh, sub-laws and workarounds and shortcuts and um, things you could do to have a sense of self-righteousness that you had somehow kept the law. And just remembering back to the beginning of the lesson, don't let us fool ourselves into thinking that even on the simple commandments that we've kept the law, um, Jesus warns us that uh, our righteousness has to exceed that of the ones who think they've kept the law. So how can we do that? We're no better than they. How can, we, how can our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? You've tried your best. If you feel bad now, wait till we start reading Westminster. Um, but how, how can it? Uh, genuinely, I ask, how can our righteousness exceed? It's they didn't have a lot of righteousness according to, to Jesus because they, they had ceased to trust God mm-hmm. or trusting things of the world. But we, to whom the Holy Spirit has given the knowledge and the love of Christ, can concentrate on that versus being accepted by the world and thereby yes. be in better shape. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Jim, uh, because it's I guess it's sort of a trick question, but I mean... Um, I didn't write the trick question. I'm just trying to answer it with you. Um, Through trusting in the Holy Spirit, because the the only righteousness that that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees is Christ's righteousness. And we now have that by the power of the Spirit, by by, uh, spiritual revelation of God's Word, um, and through Christ's finished work on the cross. So keep that in mind as we go through uh, some of these Westminster questions. Um, because they don't let us off any easier than Jesus did. Um, So for these first few, on the shorter catechism, I'll read the question. You guys can read the answer. And then there are some, uh, if you want to look them up later, there are some scriptures there that you can refer to. Um, Question, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 70. Which is the seventh commandment? Question 71. What is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment required the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity and heart, speech, and behavior. One more, and then we can discuss these. Question 72. What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. So that's just the shorter. 
the larger goes into much more detail. But going back to question 71, I like this part that the, that the answer to the question is pulling out, that it's not just about you, the reader, not committing adultery, but it's also about the, the chastity of those around us, too. Um, that, you're, you know, you could potentially be dragging someone else down into sin um, through, your, through your heart, your speech, or your behavior. And then the same on 72. Um, unchaste, what's forbidden is all unchaste thoughts, <coughs> words, and actions. Um, so I really appreciate the time that uh, the Westminster authors put into all their work uh, because we now have it as this resource that we can turn to. Uh, any thoughts or questions on, on those three shorter catechism before I move into the larger? All right, well, strap yourselves in because um, they don't pull any punches. So we'll skip over question 137 because that's kind of the same as the one we already read. So we'll start with Westminster 138. What are the duties required in the Seventh Commandment? The duties required in the Seventh Commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty and apparel, marriage by those that have not the gift of continency, conjugal love and cohabitation, diligent labor in our callings, shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. So I'd like to point out that uh, each of those numbers after a word, refer to a numbered verse down at the bottom, right underneath that question. Um, reading this question, I'd love to hear uh, any, any thoughts or uh, illuminating questions that go with these ideas, but uh, I know reading this question, um, this is where my view of Kind of like what happened with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. This question is really sort of where my view began to expand out on applying that commandment to so much more than just what it seems like it's about. Um, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses. Um, so when my mother heard me listening to inappropriate music and told me to stop, she was, whether she knew it or not, she was trying to help me honor God by uh, heeding the seventh commandment. Um, keeping of chaste company. Sometimes it's not up to us uh, who our company is, but in the times that it is, in the times that it is up to us, um, I think there's a, I think there's an old, uh, 
like an Aesop's fable or something. Good, bad company corrupts good character, something along those lines. Um, and then when it starts talking about how, how married people ought to behave, um, loving one another and cohabitating together. Um, I mean, these sound like pretty simple, simple ideas. Um, but if you have the version of righteousness that Pharisees, Pharisees were articulating, you might be able to kind of wiggle out of that. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't violated the commandment. Um, I'm just, you know, I just don't have love or uh, cohabitation in my marriage. Um, and you know, we you hear things like this, and I, I don't, I don't mean to paint every situation with uh, a broad brush. Indeed, God is merciful and. Um, he's calling us to do difficult things. Um, being married isn't easy. Being faithful, he, he alone is the faithful one. Uh, diligent labor in our callings. So being faithful, being faithful in other ways. Um, you know, our callings to be not just in our marriage, but our callings as uh, fathers and mothers, um, and even even our uh, how we approach our vocations, shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. Uh, any thoughts about how uh, the Westminster authors are are they reading into it? Is it? Uh, I mean, I guess you, you, it would be weird if you said, "Yeah, they're wrong." Um, so without saying, yeah, they're wrong, uh, is, there, is there anything here that just doesn't seem... I mean, sometimes we let ourselves out of it by saying, oh, well, that was, that was for a different time. That was for them. Not for us. They didn't know how tough we would have it. Well, um, if something... If you have something you want to share, we'll, we'll do the next question. Well, Johnny, here's a thought. I mean, this is all uh, about temporal relationships, mm-hmm. right? Interpersonal relationships between husband and wife. But the Bible has multiple examples of people whoring after other gods, etc., and God uh, equating it to an adulterous. Yeah. Right? They're adulterous. Absolutely. So I think, you know, while this is, you know, Westman is talking about, you know, relationships, interpersonal relationships, a husband and a wife, mm-hmm. or unmarried people, uh, you could extrapolate this to your impurity in your worship and in your life going forward in your relationship because we are the bride of Christ. Yes. And if we are not focused on Christ in our life, are we actually committing adultery for Christ? Right. Are we going after other gods? Yeah. Amen. It's just the thing of, you shall not have any other gods before me, which right. means it's not you're just bowing down and worshiping an idol. It is yeah. what are the other gods in your life that you're putting before me? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Christ doesn't have any other brides. That's right. Yeah. Um, Thanks for sharing that. Uh, did you have something, Carol? Yes, thanks. Um, I think 
this also um, indicates or shows us the knowledge, the deep, deep knowledge of scripture that the Westminster divines had acquired. Right. And not only that, but in the process of that, it becomes part of their own, uh, it, it provides wisdom to them personally, and they also had the, uh, the had seen and with life experience, whether in their own hearts or else in observing other people. Mm-hmm. The, um, I mean, these all of these 13 words or phrases here, that just kind of like opens a little bit more of the cracks in our own um, mm-hmm. selves. And it's the wisdom of scripture and then lived out. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Um, I, uh, I guess in the interest of time here, we'll, um, we don't necessarily have to read the entire next question, but I did want to highlight uh, um, number five in question 139. Well, it's right after number five. I don't know that number five refers to it, but uh, all corrupt or filthy communications or listening thereunto. These are, these are what's forbidden in the Seventh Commandment. Uh, number seven, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, which I, I do think that uh, there, are, there are parts of modesty that probably change with the times. Um, so I don't want to throw that out entirely, but I also uh, don't want to be like the fashion police, you know. Um, I think eight, eight and nine uh, were were interesting to me and uh, convicting. Prohibiting of lawful, so prohibiting lawful marriages violates the Seventh Commandment. Uh, Dispensing with unlawful marriages, meaning allowing them, violates the Seventh Commandment. Um, Undue delay of marriage. Now, once again, the timing of marriage, there might be a cultural component to that. Uh, um, Unjust divorce. Uh, And once again, I don't mean to to stand here and judge everybody, Um, but these are are things that are kind of tucked away in that commandment that we we need to be considerate of. Desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company. Um, So, uh, like I said at the beginning of the lesson, let's not uh, fool ourselves to think that uh, because we've sort of kept the simplistic letter of the law that we are earning righteousness or that, oh, I'm, I'm good on that one. I've just got to work on the other nine. Hey, Liz. Hey, it says keeping of stews. What is that? Is uh, that like stewing over something and giving in to whatever you're stewing over? Or what is keeping of stews? Um, I think stew here is used kind of like the word concubine. Oh, okay. Like other relationships. Um, But, um, you know, that might be something that we would all know. Like, you can't have a girlfriend and be married. We might all know that. But apparently somebody at their time needed to know that. 
Um, and from, from the uh, admonitions of Paul in the New Testament, people were, people were carrying out behaviors and calling themselves Christians. That, you know, sometimes he would say in his letters things like, uh, I've, heard that, I've heard that one of you has married your stepmother. Um, you know, so they were, I don't think it was unique to Westminster or to Paul's time or to the Old Testament. Um, Christians, believers, sometimes think that we, because we sort of let our guard down and think we've got it figured out, we end up letting this other kind of righteousness in, uh, and then we justify it. Um, but back to that, uh, thinking back to that top top uh, introductory remark, observance of the seventh commandment demonstrates God's covenant faithfulness to the church, his bride. I would like to now ask you, how does Jesus Christ keep the seventh commandment? He keeps all the promises he made to his bride. He does. Uh, to give us the comforter, uh, to advocate for us before the Father, uh, to to be faithful. There there are no other brides. Um, he promised he would come back, and we take him at his word that he'll come back to us. He has not abandoned us to just to use the language of what's prohibited in the seventh commandment: abandonment, desertion is prohibited. Um, Jesus isn't going to come back and say, well, you know, I actually met someone else. He's coming back for us. Um, and even more than just coming back for us, he has, he has done the work to make it possible for us to be with him. So it would be, it might seem, in our relationships, like Keith was saying, temporal relationships, it might be just to say something like, hey, I'm coming back for you, but you've got to do your part too. Jesus doesn't do that to us. He's done it all. Uh, indeed, we live these lives of faithfulness, and we fail, and we try again. But that, uh, that effort isn't what makes God love us. What makes God love us is the righteousness of his Son. Um, how else does Jesus keep the seventh commandment? I think about the phrase diligent, uh, back to question 138, diligent in our, diligent labor in our callings, uh, modest, shunning all occasions of uncleanness. Um, you know, for decades, Jesus was in a man's body, on the, in his body, physical body on the earth, and um, he, didn't, he didn't violate this commandment. Um, he had women around him all the time. In fact, to the degree that people were criticizing him for that. Um, you're hanging out with sinners and, and, and women with bad reputations. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't let that keep him from showing godly love. Um, now, Jesus is particularly able in this way where we, you know, I'm not recommending that any of us, uh, you know, start up some kind of ministry where we're around a bunch of men or women other than our husbands or wives. Jesus was particularly able in this way. Um, but he didn't let the, the reputation cost to him, didn't stop him from loving the ones who he knew were God's people. And his reputation on earth suffered greatly. Um, but uh, 
I think the other, probably the final way that uh, Jesus keeps the seventh commandment is that uh, he has, uh, you know, much, much like a dowry, he has redeemed us at great cost to himself. And um, because he has, because he has paid that cost, we have assurance that he won't, he won't go back on it. Um, a man in a, a man in a in a society where you have to kind of pay it forward to marry uh, a young woman, you wouldn't you wouldn't invest in that and then and then go find someone else or you know change your mind. You, it shows commitment and it, it shows that you are fully invested. So so we are uh, we are paid for. The bride is paid for, and um, you know the father the father and the son will not. Uh, waste the resources that they have expended in loving us and calling us and redeeming us and bringing us to themselves. Um, any other final thoughts or questions? I was hoping to close with a song. Yeah, I have a thought. Um, for question 138, the answer and the preservation of it in ourselves and others, that's really convicting the thought about others. Since as brothers and sisters, we're not just responsible for keeping ourselves pure, but everyone else in the church, too. Yes. Like, are you praying for the other marriages in this church? Yes. Like, sometimes I try to pray for every marriage in this church weekly, and I think there's actually, you know, we could take the city, uh, the church directory and do it by each individual couple, but are we doing that? We should be asking ourselves, are we praying for other people's marriages? Like, I'm single, I'm not married, but mm-hmm. are you all praying that I'll get married someday, or that I'll be pure if I'm not? Yeah. It's something we really need to be doing. And yes, it's a duty, but at the same time, it should be a delight if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. Like, there are couples in this church who have been so good to me. It's really, really easy to pray for them. Yeah. And we should really be praying for each other. Joseph, I think what you're saying is true as well. When Sorry, would someone else, did someone else have something? Okay. I just said good point. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Joseph, I think what you're saying is true. We have to lift one another up. Uh, to protect each other's marriages and to uh, pray for those who aren't married that want to be. Um, I think, uh, I think we find ourselves in a time today where um, it's easier to commiserate with someone about the problems they're having. Not that we shouldn't show empathy, but um, I think it's the hard task is to tell someone who's having a difficult time in, in a relationship whether it's a marriage or not, but we'll use the example of marriage to to return back to that person and to seek godly reconciliation, um, to to forgive, to truly forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Um, and I would say that for a marriage or a friendship, uh, people here at church, it's and the hard but godly thing to do is to to remind us of our Christian duty to love one another, even when it's costly. Um, even when uh, it's easier to uh, commiserate and um, dwell on the hurt feelings, uh, I think I think you and I had said this in a conversation the other day. What what grief has Christ not borne? What what uh, what hurt has not been put upon the Son by the Father? Um, so thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh. No, go ahead. Liz, you had your hand up first. Oh, did I? 
Oh, I was just going to say, um, thank you. In thinking about uh, question 71, where it says the preservation of our own and our neighbors, um, chastity and heart, speech and behavior, um, I think one way that Christ keeps the seventh commandment is by also giving us all that we need to keep the seventh commandment. In giving us his word and the Holy Spirit, you know, his word says that scripture is sufficient for all of life and godliness. So he has given us in himself and in the Holy Spirit all that we need to keep the seventh commandment. Although we we don't, we still struggle with it. But he has provided for his bride what we need to be faithful to him. Amen. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I do want to uh, affirm this idea of you know, praying for others uh, and helping others. I think it's hard. America is very individualistic, uh, and so pray for my needs. And when Cain killed Abel, the Lord asked him, you know, essentially, where is your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, but at the end of the day, Jesus is our keeper. Um, and we are brothers and keeper. Uh, that's what we're called to do in love. And so prayer is a huge part of that, uh, not just for this commandment, but all the commandments. Uh, and instead of commiserating, which that may, mourning may be part of it, but uh, going out of our way, it's messy, it's costly. Um, yes. We for one another. Uh, even, yeah, when it hurts, uh, we are a brother's keeper. And it, it does even harken back to the idea of better to enter, better to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, bearing a few wounds and scars, uh, but having pursued righteousness. Um, well, just as we started the song, uh, the, the lesson with a song about returning to the core of God's worshiping God and knowing him in his word, uh, I would like to close with a song that talks about how uh, his mercy is greater than our sin. And that, uh, so this one's called His, His Mercy is More. And if we could, we could stand and sing, and then uh, I'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll sing together and be dismissed. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. We thank you for um, using us to teach one another and, and help us have an understanding. Uh, help us to, to truly uh, take these lessons to heart and to, to um, treat one another as you would have us do. Um, we want our love for you to be evident in the way we treat each other, and we want uh, our trials on earth and difficult times now to prepare us for uh, work in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.